Revealing truth by exposing lies. What does that mean? That means that on this podcast, we're going to talk about a variety of subjects, but we have an intention in mind, and that is to move beyond political ideology, religious dogmatism, tribalism, and nationalism, even beyond personal opinion, beyond false authorities that so many people don't even question, and taking you, the audience, someplace that you may not be quite ready to go, to that place beyond us and them. This is Two Dimwits. We are two political idiots who want to discuss politics and religion. Dwight Hignite on the left, Mark Matthews on the right. Thank you for joining us as we find common ground between the far left and the far right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein us in here. Let's talk about Marxism. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what, do, what do the Muslims say about Muhammad? May his name be ever praised or something like that? Yeah, oh, Marxism. please. <laughs> what are you... Well, we're kind of full of it tonight. Um, You're full of it. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, okay. let, let me ask you a couple of questions. Sure. Since you love to talk about Marx. I do. Okay. Marx couldn't take care of his own family. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Mm. The guy The guy had some serious deficiencies. Now, I think, and there's a conspiracy theory that's mm. out there, and I'm going to throw this at Here you. Tell go. me what you think. That he, was, like that, that he was commissioned by uh, a group of people to write the Communist Manifesto. Uh, I uh, don't know about that. I, I've never heard that. Um, I do know that, uh, you know, Mark here has challenged me, and I've spent the last week uh, listening to the Communist Manifesto for the third or fourth time, I think, uh, on YouTube. I've read it two or three times, I have it downloaded on my phone, but uh, I decided to go ahead and listen to it since I don't have a lot of time with, in my personal life. And, uh, you know, the thing about the Communist Manifesto is everybody knows what it is. But I kind of wonder how many people have actually read it. As I was listening to it... I read it when I was 18. Did you? Well, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. It was a long time before I actually was able to read it. But, uh, it, you know, when you read it for the first time, um, it's, it's actually rather surprising. Um, if you take a look at Marx's actual ideas... You mean like progressive income tax? Progressive income tax, yeah. central bank. But that's actually mentioned towards the end well, of the Communist Manifesto. The, but people, if you look at, the people who commissioned him to write it, that's what they wanted him to include. That's my conspiracy theory. That's like the key factor right there. Okay. I think what... Uh, okay, here we go. Here we go. Now we're on. Uh, I think what um, I might be hearing from you is that you're, you're taking... Uh, particular problems that are particular to America and only looking for things in the Communist Manifesto to apply them to those things, the things that you don't like. Here's the thing. What Marx was really big on is something called um, historical materialism. And his whole idea, yeah, I'm going to go off on a tangent, so hopefully none of y'all get too bored, but if you really think about it, it's a neat idea. Historical materialism is the theory that all of human history has been a struggle between people on how to manage goods and resources. And in ancient times, there was what what I think Marx called it um, uh, barbaric communism. Because the people in ancient times, the only thing that they were worried about is getting enough food to eat so they didn't starve to death. And so they were forced to work together. But as time progressed through feudal times, uh, then you began to see the class struggle. And that's another key part of Marx's theory, is that all of human history has to do with a struggle between classes. There are the ones who have, the ones who uh, are at the top, and take material resources from those who are at the bottom. And all of human history can be defined as a struggle between those who take and those who are taken from. In ancient times, it was slave and master. In feudal times, it was lord and serf. 
And in industrial and in modern times, it is capitalist and worker. And what Marx said was that things didn't change unless there was a revolution. And if you think about it, you know, uh, the communists nowadays, and that's the big C, not the little C, you know, they talked about this violent revolution. Marx didn't mean a violent revolution. He did in some instances, but what he meant was is that through a series of events, systems would change. And Marx's idea was that capitalism would eventually be overthrown by socialism, which would turn into communism. And socialism and communism are things that have been completely misunderstood thanks to idiots like Joseph Stalin and uh, Chairman Mao. Uh, they have completely ruined the names of socialism and communism. So the, 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 the socialist and the communist states that we knew in history were actually not either one. They were actually, okay, Mark, are you ready for this? I'm listening. They were actually fascist states. Okay, well, um, I don't disagree with that. Uh, let's, let's, we were presented with a um, paradigm where this is, the, this, is the, this is what we're taught. We're taught that communism uh, is on the left and fascism is on the right. Yeah. Okay, and so everybody just kind of goes along with this idea. Right. But um, there's another way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. and, and the other way of looking at it is to say that, there's, that it's uh, on one side you have maximum liberty. Mm -hmm. And on the other side you have maximum tyranny of despotic government. Exactly. And what's really funny, and this is where Marx gets twisted. Marx and Engels were actually, believe it or not, Mark, mm -hmm. they were on the side of maximum liberty. Believe it or not, if you really read through the Communist Manifesto and you look at it, they, the way that they saw the capitalist system was there was a few who took from the masses. And the masses were not free at all. The masses were basically in what's called wage slavery. The idea behind capitalism is you're given a wage, you're, you give your workers a wage, just enough for them to survive and reproduce and stay well enough to keep your company running. That's wage slavery. What Marx was actually wanting to happen was a change in which wages were no longer necessary. And everyone had the maximum liberty and freedom to do whatever it is that they decided that they wanted to do with their life without state interference, without government interference, and without business interference. Because all of the uh, means of production would be owned by the workers. Things would be held in common. And that's the idea of socialism. It's not totalitarianism, and it's not government overreach. So Marx was actually more, believe it or not, boy, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, Marx was actually more of a libertarian. He believed in the absence of government. No, yeah, and if if you look at how when communism was first instituted, uh, they they wanted to allow abortion on demand. They wanted to dissolve this uh, whether you were married or whether the state married you. Absolutely. And, and, but unfortunately, I that's mean, that's 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 total libertarianism, is it not? Is that's a, that's a libertarian foundational ideas there. Well, I think what you're referring to is Bolshevism in the Soviet yeah, Union. Yeah, right. And Bolshevism is not communism. No, they call themselves it, communism, but they were not anywhere near communist or socialist. But, the, but what I'm saying is that in that early uh, um, internation of, of communism, which, you uh -huh. call Bol which is called Bolshevikism, and you were mm -hmm. correct, mm -hmm. there, and we're talking about the similarities between a libertarian idea of maximum liberty, mm -hmm. and I'm saying that this was a part of what they were trying to achieve, was this idea of maximum liberty, and the state not interfering in, in deciding if you're married or not, and you know telling you can't have an abortion, all this kind of stuff, was libertarian in a sense, and they mm -hmm. were, they went, they, they made radical changes, extreme changes, and but it didn't, it failed, because pretty right. soon people were like, you know there were pregnancies all over the place, and there were mm -hmm. there was no health care, mm -hmm. and so they had to reel back and start to intrude again into people's private lives. And uh -huh. they made abortion illegal, and they started to say you have to get married. So all of those things reversed themselves because it was a disaster. It, it, it was a disaster, and the reason it was a disaster was that the society in which they introduced it was not evolved enough or ready for that kind of change. 
And again, when you look at Bolshevism in the Soviet Union, that was changed from the top down, not from the bottom up. And what Marx talked about was changed from the bottom up. Oh, speaking of bottom up, I heard Bernie Sanders on TV talking about Woo-hoo! bottom did, did I hear that? Did you hear Ber- talking about bottom up today? Uh, There's something on the news about no, Bernie Sanders. Yeah, he no. was talking about bottom up change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, my man. Yeah. No, I'm a, I, I'm, I identify as libertarian. I believe in bottom up change. Mm. So this is kind of scaring me because I, I am by no means a uh, communist or a supporter of any communist ideas. I'm totally <laughs> ideology. I'm, I'm totally opposed to this ideology. I can mm. argue against it. But mm. I can, just by pointing the finger at Venezuela, just, <laughs> just by okay, you That's go not down socialism either. <laughs> yeah, as, as you like to say, it's about it's about the worker controlling the, the means, means of, of production. production. That, okay, wah, wah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, if it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck. Okay? Yeah, and that duck it's, is fascism. Well, that's an interesting point, and so um, you know, we use the word fascism to refer to uh, what. The establishment wants us to think in terms of it being the right, you know, mm-hmm. like that that somehow Hitler was on the right because for some reason, and that uh, that uh, and then the classic fascist, of course, was Mussolini. Right now, when you really study Mussolini and uh, separated from the Nazis and leave them out of the equation for a moment, if you really look at the fascist government of of Italy, it was founded on irrationality. As I see it, we have a problem today because. The government is keeping track of everybody's everything, yeah. and, and 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 they're partnered with the private sector to do that. Probably now, even this podcast. I kid you not. But that is fascism, because when you look at fascism, mm-hmm. you recognize that fascism and the corporate state were merged together. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So when we talk about how the problems that we see with government overreach, with technology and what have you, in uh, with the spy state, people reading your emails or checking your, even if it's not reading your email, they're they're doing collecting metadata. We know that, yes. and that's allowing them to be able to track, you know, populations and individuals, even if you do, even if they're not going to come knock on your door and take you to jail. At the same time, there's a spooky Big Brother thing going on, but that's only possible because they're working with the private sector and big corporations. Yes. Uh-huh. To, and so there's so people don't see that as a problem. They're saying, well, the government's not doing it. Uh, maybe uh, uh, Facebook is doing it, but that's not the government. Right. Well, it's actually, you know, again, and I'm a little conspiratorial here. In my opinion, it's one and the same. You know, the, the there are, you know, I told Mark before this podcast, I'd done some research this week on this particular subject. And um, there are individuals literally individuals in the world that have more wealth than most states, most countries in the world. And you have corporations that have more wealth than most countries in the world. So whenever you look at that kind of money and that kind of power, who serves who? Uh, Do the states, uh, do the corporations, are they under the states or are they above the states? To me, I would think that they would be above the states. And, and, and I want to take a minute to just comment on the libertarian idea of a, of a small government. And believe it or not, I agree with you. I think that the government what? should have... Yes! But, listen to this little segue here. Um, the government, I think... I want the government to have a small presence. The problem in a capitalist system is if the government has a small presence, mm-hmm. then the corporations and the capitalists become the government. They take over. They they concentrate power in themselves and they do not exist for the betterment of the people. They exist for profit. Yeah, I think you put your finger on a problem and so I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying which is freaking me out, but the <laughs> the uh yes, yeah, freaking me out too. I can't it's a little it's bit a small government. When you establish this Big government counterbalance to corporational uh, corporations is, from your point of view, that's a good thing. But what I'm saying is, then we merge those two together, and that's mm-hmm. fascism. Absolutely. So you're you've got a real danger here when you try to produce communism. You get fascism. Well, it, historically, that is the way it's been because historically, all of these quote communist regimes have been top down. They have not been ground up. So, in your view, communism would be Ideally, it would be bottom-up. would be bottom-up. Okay. It would be so you're a bottom-up communist. Is that a correct yeah. way of saying it? Yeah. So 
But what we've seen in the 20th century has been top-down. Absolutely. And, and a better way to describe that would be despotism. Absolutely. So you can call it communism, you can call it fascism, but the bottom line is it's top-down and dis despotism. It's, it's despot yeah, it's totalitarianism. Okay, it's totalitarianism. So Absolutely. That, so now what I'm saying is that when we have this merger of government and non-government agencies and all these corporations that are kind of aligning themselves, uh, and this has been the history of the country, but we've gotten to the point now where everybody's just cool with it, but, they, but the technology is going over the edge here as far as invading our privacy. You know, oh, yeah. we have people like Edward Snowden waving a red flag and saying, mm -hmm. hey, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Nobody seems to pay attention to that. Yep. And so we're, you know, it doesn't, it had, nothing's changed. Um, the Titanic is still heading towards the iceberg. <laughs> Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you know I found out talking about conspiracies and did you know that there was a guy who wrote a book called the uh, yes. Titanic or it was called something. Something and it was like the Titanic accident perfectly. He described it in every way. Yeah. And it was written years before it years happened. Years before it yeah. happened. He actually wrote two books about it. Oh my it. gosh. And then <coughs> two. I didn't know there was two. He wrote two books about this and he detailed the Titanic in detail all the things that happened. Uh-huh. I mean it's amazing. He either there's a conspiracy, he was psychic, or he's a time traveler. Well, there's other options. <laughs> you know what? We're going to have to have a podcast yeah. about this because there there's like a whole thing here. Huh. You know, th when the bombing in Oklahoma City happened, yes. the governor uh, at the time, his name uh, was, uh, oh, what was the name of that? The uh, Keating Five. You remember the Keating Five scandal? Well, Governor yeah. Keating was, uh, his brother wrote a book like mm -hmm. two years before, about a federal building getting bombed, and okay. that the villain in that story's name was McFay instead of McVeigh. And he got stopped by a trooper on the freeway for speeding, and that's how they caught him. And that's how McVeigh got caught. Now, now, what's going on? Okay, you're freaking me out here. If what? that's a real book, and you can prove yeah. to me it was written before, yeah. you're freaking me out. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's pretty weird. That's but it's like the Titanic out. thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and if we did the research, there's probably a whole bunch of more of these things. Yeah. And it raises the whole question of the Mandela effect. Are you familiar? Well, that's, that's the first thing that actually popped in my head. Yeah. Was the so, Mandela and effect. I, don't, yeah. I think this is this doesn't fit nicely into the Mandela effect, but I think it's on the verge it's of, it's on the weird. peripheral of that whole yeah. kind of like, what's going on with alternate timelines? Yeah. Yeah. Strange. Isn't it weird? You know, the, it's really. And, oh, I have to yeah. say, since we're talking about communism and yeah. Nazis, uh, wasn't it Philip K. Dick who wrote The Man in the High Tower? Which yes. was wonderful book. I just yeah. read it a few weeks ago. Really? Yes. Yeah, have you watched it on Netflix? Oh, yeah, or? I've seen okay. every episode. Yeah. yeah. So, Absolutely. how does that fit in? Well, now there you go. That's very strange because in the book, the. Uh, it, the main story was in what we would call a parallel universe. Right. At the very end of the book, the heroine, through a, a Taoist uh, book called the I Ching, discovers that she's actually living in a parallel universe. And with that knowledge, she walks into our universe. Hmm. Weird. And the, uh, the, uh, uh, the television series follows along the same way, but they change it a little bit and go more in-depth, and the characters, you know, become more, uh, you know, deeper, well, but it's, it's the same idea. The same author, Philip yeah. K. Dick, uh -huh. uh, he wrote um, uh, The Minority Report, where you have, like, right. precognitive pre right. yeah. uh, knowledge. I didn't know that was him. Yeah. yeah oh, he's done, cool. he's done a lot of He's done of a lot of books, oh, yeah. I knew that. Yeah. 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 The movie uh, Blade Runner, of course, is based on Do, Do Androids Dream of... of Electric Sheep. Yeah. Awesome movie. Right. I have not read the book, but I'm going to. Yeah, the best science yeah. fiction ever. Yeah. Um, the second one was atrocious and a, a, an abomination. Never but seen it. don't bother. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 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 horrible and embarrassing mm. and a shameful thing, mm. but... But Philip K. Tick, in his own private life, he actually became aware that his son had a serious medical condition, uh -huh. and he told his wife what it was, and he and made her take him to the hospital, and the, the doctors checked, and, they, and sure enough, if they hadn't caught it, the boy would have died. And wow. there was no way that he you could ob observe that or come to this knowledge. It just popped in his head, and he knew he described exactly what was going on. Wow. Isn't that wild? That's wild. So... I mean, he was, I don't know if he took acid at some time in his youth. I think he did. Actually, yeah. he took acid twice because the guy who gave it to him says, I know he took it twice because I gave it to him. Uh, okay. And so, yeah, but I don't know if that opened up his mental pathways to whatever. But huh. um, there was something about, there are certain people throughout history that have had mm -hmm. glimpses into another timeline that actually mm -hmm. manifest. And these things come into reality. Now we're talking about the holographic universe. Ah, uh, yes. And okay. so what yeah, I ran across, I have to share with you, um, 
this idea that's been put out there by scientists. These are uh, people who are quantum. Yes. They're experts in their field. Yes. And there was a big argument between mm-hmm. the, uh, the one group of physicists and another mm-hmm. because one is operating through the idea that the universe is like a mechanical device. And, you right. know, and this was the point of view where, uh, what's the guy in the wheelchair? Uh, the, oh, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking uh-huh. was investigating black holes. Uh-huh. And he was saying that when, you, when something falls into a black hole, you know, beyond the event horizon, that information is lost forever. And this other, the other school of thought was like, well, that can't be true because we know in nature, even if you take a book and burn it... Right. Matter cannot be destroyed. Matter cannot be destroyed. Right. So... So there was this argument that went on for 20 years, and I think mm-hmm. they finally come to some consensus on this question. And mm-hmm. so there is some agreement. Most people don't know. I didn't know until I watched this YouTube video mm-hmm. and explained it. So basically what the consensus view is now is that there, uh, the, the, the information that defines who you are is held at the uh, uh, outer limits of the, of, the, um, of the event horizon of the, of the black hole. So if you were to okay. fall into the black hole, you know, the essence of who you are, your memory that information would still reside there. and so On the edge of the black hole. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Okay. So yeah. now this presents another um, hypothesis that people are working with with the idea of a holographic universe. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that, um, that, that, uh, that atoms are, and, and uh, protons and all the elements in the, in the world are tied together. There's entanglement, non-locality. Right. And this suggests that there we're in a holographic universe. Yes. And so one way to explain that is that if you had a camera pointing at a fish tank and the fish is pointing longwise, and then another camera on the other side of the tank and the, the fish is looking directly at the camera, and uh-huh. then you have two monitors set up and someone who doesn't know what fish are looks at them, thinks that they're two different things. But uh-huh. when the fish moves, it moves simultaneously in both monitors. So the person watching the monitors doesn't know it's a fish, but they can then reason that, hey, they're connected in some way. Huh? They're not connected. They're the same thing. You're just right. looking at it from different perspectives. Oh, this so, is new, this is new information to me. Yeah. So the idea that uh, because they the problem was they were trying to figure out how these protons are, are switching and alternating at the same yes, time. Entangled, entangled. They're entangled. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. entangled. So the thing Quantum is, entanglement. Well, they can't. They the mystery was they're communicating with each other faster than the speed of light. How yes. is it possible? Right. The only way it's possible is if they're not communicating. They're essentially the same one and the same. It's the oh, fish. My. It's one fish. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So so now extrapolating out from that and this lose sleep over that. Go ahead. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it gets really deep the further we go into this discussion. Yeah. So now we're talking about the idea that maybe we're inside the event horizon of a black hole. That's what we Whoa, okay. that's a new one. Yeah. I heard that one. Yeah. So the idea okay. that there's this whole universe expanding inside this uh, space that we might think of as a black hole. We're in this we're in this space and that nothing here is really physically here. It's all just a memory or a shadow. We're mm-hmm. in the shadow of the hologram essentially. So what you might say mm. is that on the on the event horizon there is the memory of who you are. And then there's the shadow of that, which is being acted out in our life. So we essentially, you could look at it different ways. You could say that you died a million years ago, and what you're experiencing right now is the playback of a recording that's memory. That's that's. You get what I'm saying? Okay, you're freaking me out. So that's really wild. I've not heard that one. Yeah, because the whole idea of a three dimension or four dimensions is that we have this. We know about three dimensions. We can see three dimensions. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. recognize that it exists. But Einstein's contribution was that there's a fourth dimension right. of time, right? right? But mm-hmm. now they, they've uh, there's For string a, theory. There's like ten, maybe yeah, eleven. That's what dimensions. Uh-huh. So people are arguing is there ten or eleven? Mm-hmm. And then there's this other uh, idea I encountered yesterday for the first time that says that at the eighth level, uh, the structure of um, uh, what's at the eighth, eighth level um, then casts a shadow, and that shadow is what we see it, uh, in three dimensions. What we see as reality. So what, yeah. ha- what we see as reality or what we identify as physical having form is actually formless. But we don't mm-hmm. know that because we're interpreting it with our mind. Right. So from our, our mind can only interpret form, not formlessness. Uh-huh. So the essence of our of everything physical is a manifestation of a higher dimension, a uh, shadow of a higher dimension. So this eighth dimensional uh, reality is not something that we can conceive or understand unless we use mathematics so, to arrive so at. So would that mean that the eighth dimension is actually the true reality? Well, it it's up to you to decide because. It, in some ways, both are memory. So you have, mm-hmm. uh, so maybe the reality is even beyond that, because right. at some point 
the there's uh there's there's a memory in the eighth dimension which is you and there's the memory of you in the in the three in the form or what we think of as form which is really formless but mm-hmm. the physical world let's just call it that the physical world is a, a, a memory of you so there's two memories of you like those entangled particles mm-hmm. and you're not one or the other you're both you're the same so you're receiving information your brain is decoding knowledge and information that's being fed to you. Uh-huh. And it's not just your brain. It's every cell in your body. Every single cell in the universe has a... It's like <clears throat> if you think of it like a piece of paper and there's dots on the piece of paper. But those right. dots correspond to uh, something that's beyond the, the, the two dimensions. Like the pencil is, whole, is being... Right. The pencil is creating a dot, but the pencil itself is in a third dimension. Right, which cannot be understood by the the dots in the two dimensions. Yeah, if you were a two-dimensional uh-huh. being, you would only see a dot. You wouldn't see a pencil. Right, yeah. So what we're saying is that the, you're the dot in the physical world, and the pencil is the memory of you in the eighth dimension. And so... It, it, um, in some ways, My that's that's goodness. a that's a rough way of saying it. But um, w- when so so the question is, what is memory? Right. Okay. Now this mm. is this is a deep question. Okay. My brain is already hurting, but go ahead. Okay. So the thing is that every uh, uh, people talk about genetics is what you know you you were given genetics. Well, genetics are just protein information yeah. strings. So yeah. there's patterns. And we think mm-hmm. that there's memories, but these memories are tied to the eighth dimension outside of ourselves. So the, the proteins do what they do because they're being fed knowledge and information and memory. They have memory that's extra physical. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so once you start, that's like a whole new subject of discussion. Yeah. And this is like, I'm going to turn you on to something I read that, that sheds lights on, light on this because right now you're hearing about it for the first time. Yeah, I, I have no comment. This is all new. And, and you're just like, wow, this is freaking me out. Mm-hmm. And I had the same reaction. So I want, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to get your reaction after you read this paper because okay. this guy is like, he's really stumbled onto something really profound. Mm-hmm. And, the, and re- I've been asking this question for a long time. What is memory? And I can't mm-hmm. get any good answers. I mean, if you think about... Mm-hmm. The uh, people are uh, they people uh, fear the future, right? We mm-hmm. fear things that might happen in the future, mm-hmm. but why? It's a memory, isn't it? Well, it, it it depends on from what perspective you're looking at. If you're looking at it from our three dimensional perspective, it's not a memory because it hasn't happened yet. Yes, but what I'm saying is that we uh, we project into our future um, fears based on our past experiences so that's uh, yes. a memory yes i understand now okay yes. yeah. so mm-hmm. if, so we have a localized memory mm-hmm. that says that you know last time i dated a girl with red hair she really hurt my feelings and so i see this girl with red hair and i'm thinking oh that's a that's a red flag stay right. away from her because i'm afraid that the same i'm going to experience emotional pain once again and i don't want to go there right so you have so the fear of dating a girl with red hair it mm-hmm. is a is a memory that actually uh What's really cool, I mean, I won't, I, won't, I won't spend too much time on this because I'm really digging what you're saying. In the counseling field, um, there's something called a schema. Mm-hmm. And a schema is a set of life experiences that you have that forms your view of the world. Right. And whenever you get caught up in your schema is you just keep reliving the same mistakes that you did, that you lived through over and over and over again, and acting the same way in spite of whatever environment you may be in. So... I can understand what you're saying. Well, well, like the future is like a memory because you're basing your future on your past experiences instead of simply being open up to the very present and letting go of the past and not worrying about the future. So, anyway, go ahead. I, I just had yeah. to add that. So, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, we, now we introduce into this conversation the idea of determinism versus free will. And so, you know, they say that there are pertinent parts of the brain that light up before you make a decision to do something. Mm. And based on that information, uh, they say that it's causality, certain, uh, it's, it's randomness. It's like the fact that, you know, if I put myself in your position mm-hmm. and I had the same genetics you did, I had the same environment you did, I had, was married to the same woman you were, I went to, had the same education you had, and, I put, and they put me in the same circumstances, situation, I'm going to react the same way you did. Right. And, then, and so from this, the argument is there's no such thing as free will because uh-huh. we're, we're all being pushed um, by these forces, uh, our fears of the past, mm-hmm. fears that the project into the future that, you know, are, just mm-hmm. like we talked about. Mm -hmm. And that's another one of the determining forces, right? So Mm -hmm. there's so many of these things. It's like if you, if you, it's like, okay, where's the space for free will? It's only like 2%. 
Two percent mm-hmm. of what's going on in our daily lives are actually a free will decision. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, mm-hmm. um, it's it, and, and it's hard to argue against this. Yeah, I don't like that idea, but it's hard for me to argue against it. So yeah, I, I I argue for two percent. I said, just give me two percent, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? And so <laughs> I want to be in control. I want to have I some measure of control, even yeah. if it's one or two percent. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll work with that. We all got to have but, that control. Yeah. But you know, if if there is no percent of control, then why well, I just go out and hang myself and. What's the point? You know? Ah, yes. You well, know, there's the illusion of control. Well, okay. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, well, illusion. The physical world is an illusion. So now we're going back to the whole question of the holographic universe. Let's go back to so, that. And, and if we go back to that, then we're talking about the memory of you existing in some higher level outside the event horizon. Then you're trapped inside this, uh, I don't know, a, a, a black hole of some sort or that you, whatever it is. That's and, that's really crazy, man. And, and that it's that it maybe was just created on somebody's computer. That, now, there you there's go. There's a simulated now, universe. So that's when, that's my theory that I think of. Uh-huh. Well, this could be true. I mean, yeah. when we talk about being, oh, it's like we're trapped inside a black hole. That doesn't make sense. It's but it but it's intriguing. But when you think of it as being a uh, uh, an a computer, a computer. It's, it's, it's now more it, familiar. That to makes you. sense. It makes sense because it's more familiar. It's yeah. less outlandish. It's yeah. something that you're used to thinking about. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. Let on me it. tell you that the science supports this. Yes. Because mm-hmm. mathematicians tell you that when they look at the Planck level and they look at the highest level and the lowest right. level, they see computer code. Absolutely, which is insane. So there, there, there's a there's a consensus forming now among yes. the smartest people in the world that we are living in a simulation. But right. this is a video game. Right. So now what I'm saying, if we take that idea and we put it with the the thing that I was telling you earlier about the, the every particles being entangled and the idea that there's a memory of you in two places. Yes. Right. So that you've got the the physical you that's sitting in the car with me talking, uh-huh. and then you've got the uh, the hundred percent knowledge. Because right now you're only operating at maybe eighty five percent because. You know, you still got twenty percent of your life to live. Sure. So, so you're, Thanks, buddy. You're, uh, <laughs> you've got, you're, you and I both. We're, we're. Uh, that's being hopeful. We're, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, we're at this particular moment. We've got a hundred years between the uh, two of us. Man, you didn't have to say that twice. But, <laughs> but we're operating at, at our, 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 our memory of ourselves. Uh-huh. Uh, at eighty five percent, but that that other us that on the outside of the uh, on the outskirts of this black hole has a hundred percent. So now, if you put that idea into a video game, what we're saying is that the video game is operating uh, according to a timeline, but it, the timeline is a fiction or a construct, mm-hmm. and that the but the programming has already been which done. brings us to the key question, the question that really nags at everyone. Whenever you consider that the universe is a hologram or a computer-generated um, simulation, who wrote the code? Who wrote the code? Yeah. Yeah, well, now there's alternative views of this. But, of course, you know, um, evolutionary biologists will say that we don't need a creator because we can explain um, how complex systems evolve. And there, there's good evidence to support this case. But... Still, the same people who say that also want us to believe in the fiction of the Big Bang. And so what they're saying is there are no miracles except for the first few seconds. Right, right, right. And again, I would ask those people who wrote the code. Well, right? see, if, Did the code come together? I mean, how did a simulation, if, if, if physics is showing that we're living in a simulation, a computer simulation, then did it just spontaneously begin? And if it began, what did it begin on? No, I think it's a good question. And uh, I, I, the answer um, is, if there is an underlying code that, um, like, let's take, uh, let's, let's take the, um, there's a, what is it called? The golden ratio. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. you see this golden ratio mm-hmm. at the micro level and at the the macro, the macro level. level the and same so shape. so it, yep. once again that's a pattern, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so now you could say that oh this was just spontaneously, you know, randomly. No, it's part of the code. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's evidence yeah. that there's code. So mm-hmm. this is just a clue that there's more code underneath that. Yeah. We're just seeing something. We're identifying a pattern. Mm-hmm. And it's an it's a unifying principle. Mm-hmm. But when but the so the code could be very simple, but nevertheless, 
who somebody wrote the code. It's right. a, it's a um, like when you see the the, uh, the plank level, these objects, you know, can only be so big. And if yeah. you if you divide it, it gets it becomes two parts, and you divide it again, it becomes two two more parts. But at some point, you can't divide anymore. Right. It'll, you uh, can only get so small, and you can only get so big. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So that's the outer limits of the Seems coding. To be parameters. There are parameters mm -hmm. established. So what we have is uh, we have a, an operating principle, uh, which is like an operating system in a computer. Mm -hmm. There's a code, and so the code is saying, okay, this and no more. And so when you start to identify. Uh, it's like how many zeros is that? Thirty-two zeros, and that, and so the, um, the there is there there is a uh, intelligence in the in the code that's being revealed. Right. That's being so where the, the old saying is where there's a design, there's a designer. Yeah. And so the new way to say that because you know if, if evolutionaries want to say argue against that and yeah. say you know and the, very convincingly so I must say, mm -hmm. but when you talk about high, the the fact that evidence is now pointing us to the idea that this is a hologram, that it's a simulation, that we're operating inside of this op, uh, simulation, and that there is computer code underneath it all, then the next question is who wrote the code? Right. Who wrote the code? I don't know. And for what purpose? Right. For what purpose? Again. Okay, now, know. here's a clue is that we are the most highly developed biological entity on planet Earth. Yes. And we're a little egocentric about that. We think that we're the highest developed biological entity in the universe. We're going to be like Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. We're going to fly around in the universe. We're right. going to do... But what people are starting to say the is now... The keyword is biological. Okay, but... Okay. But the universe, it seems, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe there's a different way to look at it, but it seems that all the conditions were perfect for our evolution yeah. here on planet Earth. Right. And so um, I'm not saying that, that there aren't other uh, biological entities that have uh, cognitive ability on other planets, and maybe they're alien to us in some way because their conditions were different than ours, and mm -hmm. maybe they're not carbon-based like we are, or maybe they're not, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, when they're when you say alien, there's a lot of possibilities mm. of what alien could be. I mean, mm. there are there are there are. We've only now begun to realize that there's life at uh, at parts under the Earth that we didn't think was possible. Right, exactly, and this is our own planet. So yeah, they're discovering the uh, of the universe. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, there. I mean, literally, there are alien creatures on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And when I say alien, I mean they're not breathing air. Right. Okay, that's alien. Mm -hmm. They're 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 a biological, but not by any stretch of the imagination what we considered biological. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and so, but they're on planet Earth. Right. They're alien to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. In the depths of the ocean. That's right. Yeah. So um, so my point is that there is alien life, and we found it. We did. We found it on Earth, and not somewhere else. Right. Now, what's interesting is with this whole idea of the bi of the holographic universe, etc., and the simulation thing. What pe what. What seems to be evolution is now, we always assume that we were going to be like Star Trek, get on the Starship Enterprise, go out, explore the planets, but no, that doesn't seem to be the scenario that's unfolding. What's going to happen is we're all going to play video games until we die. Nobody's going to leave planet Earth. We're not going to get in spaceships and explore. We're creating our own simulated universes right. to play in. Right, exactly, which makes us like God. We are becoming coders of an alternate reality at, like the one we're in. Exactly. So there's simulations within simulations, and that's not just a theory. That's a reality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we, it, it is. It's a virtual. Re I mean, virtual. Pardon the pun. It is. A, it's an actual reality now. I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm going to play on my Xbox, and I'm going to play Skyrim. That is a simulated reality. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, and there was some code that was written that that created to make that game work. Right. And it's all. This is what really. Uh, this is what Mark and I have talked about in the past. Is when you play Skyrim, the only thing you see is what your character is seeing at the moment. That's the only thing that exists is, is what's on the TV screen. Right. But the everything else only exists as information. Potential. When, potential. When the character views the scenery in Skyrim, mm -hmm. then it materializes into something that can be experience and this is a great metaphor for the physical world that we know because exactly. with, with the this what's that experiment they the did double with, slit experiment. the double slit experiment they mm -hmm. know that that human consciousness affects the outcome absolutely and so when there's an observer uh then and so this is this lends itself to the idea of this holographic universe mm -hmm. uh, idea mm -hmm. and so more and more this seems to be the uh, the model that makes sense to me and explains mm -hmm. a lot um, consciousness creates matter 
and consciousness creates our reality. Mm-hmm. The um, um, memory could uh, what we're saying is matter could be potential. In other words, it could be it could ex- it, it the potential exists for a matter to manifest itself, but in order for it to 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 do so, there has to be consciousness present to activate so, it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, so it, again, it's like a video game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. So when you think of it that way, it's like, okay, you've got all the potential in this video. Because these video in- game engines that they've created now are to create these unlimited universes mm-hmm. so that uh, planets and animals on those planets are being created by some code. And it's just randomness that, like, or whatever, they have some kind of coding for it. So you can you can fly your spaceship to a planet and land on it. Mm-hmm. And then you get out and you see plants and animals that you've never seen before in that video game mm-hmm. because they never were created before. That's the right. potential was there, right. but you had to actually go to that planet. Right. And so, and then, and the chances of other people who play the video game going to the same planet are very slim because there's an unlimited possibility. On of, certain video games, the more advanced video games, yeah. that's true. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, and we're we, already on our we're way. We're already there, mm-hmm. and we're just getting better at it all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so, what does this mean? Mm. What does this mean um, if if we are to accept this notion? That we're operating within a virtual reality, a video game, hologram, uh, simulated universe. What's the takeaway? What is it? I mean, what's the meaning behind it? Is it? Is it it's a metaphor, but it seems to be uh, a metaphor for the reality, and and the reality is so far beyond our comprehension. But now we're starting to grasp it because we do play video games, and, right. and, and so now it's starting to make sense. So what's the uh, what's the takeaway from this knowledge, this information, realizing, coming to this paradigm shift? Now what? Well, that's a really good question because to look at it one way, if you're a computer program, so what? There's not a lot you can do about it. You know, you still exist in this reality that's been created for you. Um, but, yeah, well, tell me what you think. Well, I've given this some thought. I know that I caught you off guard with that question. Yeah, that's all right. Um, so tell me what you think. I've given some thought to this. And and where I come out on this question is that, you know, we've discussed different personality types, different temperaments, and how they mm-hmm. interact with each other. Mm-hmm. And so my my conclusion is that we're 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 living in a dynamic universe, okay? And everything about it is dynamic. And, but we, on the other hand, can become static. In other words, we can become stuck in our opinions and our thoughts and Absolutely. our views. Absolutely. Okay, but I believe that the reason we're in this simulated universe and hologram and this construct uh, that's so dynamic is so that we can grow spiritually. And that means that we have to stop being static. I know it's comfortable to be static. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to have control. and They mm-hmm. want to carve off their little piece of the universe and say, that I'm going to live here and nobody bother me. Right. But really, we're in this soup of evolution and, and whatever terms you want to use, uh, a hologram, uh, a assimilated universe, the word that describes it all is dynamic. Okay. Okay, and when I say dynamic, I mean constantly changing. Yes. Right, and so constantly it, changing, complex, and that makes it living. It's a living system. Mm-hmm. Okay, now when something isn't moving or changing or growing, or uh, then it's dead. Okay, right. mm-hmm. and if if you're a static person, you're dead. Right. Okay, so we talk about free will versus determinism. I'm saying. Uh, if you want to prove that there's free will, then become a dynamic person. Change your opinion. Change your views. Do something different. Take and your so, life into your hands. Instead right. Of just, instead of reacting, act. See, I think that you have the potential to engage the dynamic world in a dynamic way. And, and not everyone chooses to do that. But no, because that's hard. It's, that's the key thing, is that there is a measure of suffering involved in when you let go of your own opinion, if you let go of your preconceived ideas and your mm-hmm. prejudices. Those are static things that are comfortable. And, you know, it's our way of, of trying to make sense out of a complex, dynamic world. But if we allow ourselves to be open to the potential and then engage in a dynamic way, so, so what I'm saying is we, if you look at the evolution of the human being, we are designed for throwing things. Like, the body is designed to throw sure. balls. So we aim... Throwing and running. Throwing and running. Mm-hmm. But if we throw spears and balls, what's the point? We're trying to hit a target. Sure. And if we're running, we're trying to run to or run away from something. Yes. Yeah. But when I say hit a target, the old concept, uh, the word sin, uh, comes from 
the Hebrew missing the mark. Missing the mark. Yep. Yep. So so what I'm saying is that we were biologically created to hit the target, okay? Mm -hmm. And when we don't hit the target, we miss the mark, and that's where the word sin comes from. Right. So I'm not saying that there's some kind of moral code that we have to abide to, by to go to heaven. What I'm saying is that in this dynamic holographic universe, what do we need to be doing? And I, the answer is we need to aim at something. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I agree with that, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do uh, just one little segue here to finish this off. And I'm going to bring back the, the, I know, socialism. I'm going to bring it back. Either, whatever it is, mine happens to be socialism. Having something to aim at. Having, you know, to, to, something to work towards. Something to uh, make a change for. I work with young people and, and I, I want, I try to help them envision a, a better life or, or to, to take the courage to make a change in their life. And... It's the same thing for me. I I want to see our society change. What 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 you're identifying, and when I say aim at something, you immediately started to list some things, and the things mm -hmm. that you were listing are you taking on responsibility in the world. Yes. You take on responsibility with being a husband. Mm -hmm. You take on responsibility by being a father. Mm -hmm. You take on responsibility by helping kids, uh, going to college to get a degree so that sure. you can help them. You yeah. took on the debt of being able to do that, financial debt. Is, yeah, don't, don't uh, say debt. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and so uh, the common theme here is aiming at something that is not only going to benefit you, but because it benefits you, it benefits it's going to benefit the circle of influence that you have. Yes. And then you take on the responsibility of expanding your circle of influence mm -hmm. so that you can do the greater good. And ultimately, you're looking at the big picture. How could we, you know, your desire is, if we could just have the ideal form of government, everything would be better for everyone. And then you and I will argue about what the right. ideal, what form, the ideal of government, form of government so, is. And, and never actually yeah. agree on it without actually admitting that we agree. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. So this is where we're at. You know, to to add what you just said, um, there was a, a book, and and I'm not a preacher anymore. I don't I don't buy into the religious stuff. Uh, but there was a book called Forty Days of Purpose several years ago, and the main thing I remember from that book is the very first line, and the very first line is this: "It's not about you." It's not about you. Our we exist. From an evolutionary point, uh, we're just simply um, bipedal primates, you know, and primates mm. exist in a troop. They exist in a uh, in in groups, and the sole purpose of that group is to support each other uh, to gather food and reproduce. All right. Well, let me just say that when you start talking about groups, you're you're uh, you're looking at things from the Marxist-Leninist collectivist point of view, mm -hmm. and you 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 tend to put groups above individuals. Where I'm a libertarian, I put individuals above groups. So there's an ideological split between you and I well, on this question. But what I do hear you saying that I agree with. Now go ahead. I, I attacked you. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. What, what, what I'm trying to say is is that there's a delicate balance between yeah. the individual and the group. You uh -huh. know, we talked about a little bit about fascism, and I, I watched a neat little video on YouTube. Uh, you can you can look it up, Mr. Beats. Uh -huh. He's like a high school history teacher, and he did something on capitalism, <laughs> communism, and socialism, and they had another one on fascism, and it was absolutely fascinating what he had to say. See the simple the symbol. The fascist symbol is a group of sticks, right? Okay? And the idea behind that is, if you take one stick, you can break it. But if you take a bunch of sticks and you band them together, they're unbreakable. So, fascism is conform or else. The, 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 the group or the state is more important than the individual. Did you know that the, the bundle of sticks or the fascists that you're referring to mm -hmm. is up on the wall in Congress? Oh, my goodness. I did not know that. Yeah, if, you, if the camera pulls back whenever the president gives the States of the Union address and there's mm -hmm. the, everybody's there and the camera zooms in on But if you zoom back, you'll see a fascist on both sides. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's scary. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that socialism or Marxism, again, I'm sorry, guys. I, I'll get off, the, I'll get off the, that for just in a minute. But it, it, it is about the collective whole, but it's not setting oneself to be secondary to the whole. It's the idea of shared 
goods. It's not. It's not saying that you're less important and everybody and and the group is more important than you are. It's that for the sake of the group, everyone shares uh, what they have. But it Marx's idea was not was not that. So do you use the word egalitarian to describe that? Yes. Okay. So def- define egalitarian. Egalitarian. Okay. Well, I don't know what the Oxford Dictionary says, but when I hear the word egalitarian, I think about equality. Right. So, so I don't think that I'm opposed to egalitarian idea uh, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but I think the difference between me being conservative, you being liberal, is that you know you're wanting to push the envelope and get to the egalitarian, Italian, uh, egalitarian state of of the world. Uh, and you believe it's possible to attain that in this life, and let's work for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and my thing is, um, being conservative, like, well, you know, people are greedy, and people are selfish, and, you know, that system's not going to work, and it's proven to fail, so why are we going to continue to go down this path? Why not just uh, operate with a system that seems to be working? If, it, if it's working, if, if it's not broke, then why fix it? And so, but at the same time, I think we both want that. It's just a question of how, how soon is it going to arrive. And how are we going to get How it? is it going to manifest? Is it something right. that's going to come about in our lifetime? Because the, you had two schools of, of communists back in the day, back, you know, after the, uh, during 1920s when they started the League of Nations after World War I, mm-hmm. and they, they, uh, th- there was the group called the Fabian Socialists. Mm-hmm. And the Fabian Socialists were the ones who kind of went underground, mm-hmm. and because they believed that they could bring about this egalitarian state through, through conspiratorial means. Mm-hmm. In other words, they were going to disguise themselves as Democrats and what have you. And so, <clears throat> well, there ain't no disguise here. You can call me a now, you're very, socialist that's if what, you want to. I'm not going to hold that disguise. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. most of them are subversive. But, <clears throat> yeah, so I respect the fact that you're out in the open. That's yeah, cool. that's right. We can have a real discussion. There you go. But a lot of these guys, uh, you know, People don't even know. If you ask the average person, have you ever heard of Fabian Socialism? They Most have no idea. They have no idea. No idea at all. And the symbol is a turtle. But they were the same. Like, they were communists, but they were undercover. Mm-hmm. Okay? They were operating behind the scenes like Alger Hiss mm-hmm. and people like that, who was also a stooge of the, of the bankers. Some of these bankers were uh, deeply, in their heart of hearts, uh, they were Fabian Socialists. Even How can a banker be a Fabian socialist? No, I'm telling you, they had look. They had money. They're not working for money. They got all the money they need. Uh huh. Okay, so they're looking at power, right? Again, how can a banker be a socialist? Because the idea of how, a socialism is that power is shared by no, the no, bottom. No. Okay, look, the same way that Christianity was co-opted. By Constantine. By Rome, yes. Okay, so you're saying how could a Roman Empire be a Christian? In the truest sense of the word, how can a... Well, how can, how can... How can... It's the same argument. How can it, how can it be? You're saying how can a, how can a super capitalist banker be a, a communist? And, and so I'm saying he's not really one. In your sense, it's not your word communist, it's not how you define the term. Mm-hmm. He's seeing it as an opportunity for power. And yeah. that's how people like Lenin and Mao came to power. Yeah. And it wasn't because some thug climbed to the, high, the top of the hierarchy, which did happen. I'm mm-hmm. saying it's because some bankers wanted that to happen. Mm. It was a conspiracy. They were financed and supported. And the same way that Karl okay. Marx was financed and supported. Well, Who I'll have think, to do the research. And I, yeah, well, I know that... Karl Marx was financed and supported by yeah. Frederick Engels. Yeah, well, who and who was, was that? ironically a capitalist. Well, you know, he said, that's my point, mm-hmm. okay? This whole thing, right, like, Engels said something that I agree with. He talked, mm-hmm. one of the things you said about is that people were slave uh, in this capitalist system, slave yes, to taxes and stuff. Now, Engels called that a false consciousness. In other words, do you, do, I don't know if you recall him using that term, but he calls okay. it a false consciousness in the sense that people are like, you know, submissive to their slave owner, etc., and kind mm-hmm. of a, have a false consciousness of their own freedom and what yeah, have you. I think you. I've heard of it, yeah. Okay. Well, I changed the term. I don't call it false consciousness. I call it false authority. Uh-huh. Which is kind of the same thing, but the difference is that uh, I am going to include communism in that uh, false authority. Uh, false authority. And so what okay. what Karl Marx and Engels were talking about when they said false consciousness was directed against capitalism. Yeah. And I'm saying that the problem includes what they created, the, the horrible uh, history of the 20th century that we trace back to uh, the Karl Marx's theories that were 
in that your were perverted. that were perverted. Okay, yes. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I think he was a little perverted himself. But that's another. <laughs> that's, a, that's another issue. Oh man, here comes. Here or his comes kids wouldn't have starved to death. All right, look. <clears throat> Boy, Look, I they, tell you what, I don't know anything about Marx's personal story. All I know is about this philosophy. He didn't take I care like of his family. It. That's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Okay. So the 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 thing is that, um, uh, and and it. Well, I don't. I want to. I'm not going to go any further than that. But the point. <laughs> the point is. The point is that there is a false authority, okay, at mm-hmm. work, and it. And we do. We can call it. Uh, and we can call it communism. We can call it fascism. We can call it capitalism. We can call it whatever you want to. Okay, but how do you define what really is false authority? And my answer is anything that puts you between that separates you from God. Okay, okay. that's a false authority. Yeah, and I think we can agree on that. I would agree with that. Okay, yes. so that's Idolat- like a, it's like idolatry. Yeah, so a false authority is anything mm-hmm. that sep- tries to separate it, put itself between you and God. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the that's the definition that you and I agree on now. Yes. When uh, when we look at the world, how many false authorities are there? And I'm saying that the Multiple. it's just an enormous problem, but what I'm saying is I've come to this realization that the, the ultimate false authority resides within me. Yes. So my ego can be between yep. me and God. Absolutely. My ego is a false authority. Absolutely. So, so we're in this construct called a virtual reality video game, and you're asking me what's the purpose of life, and I'm saying we've got to aim at something, and you're saying one of the things we've got to aim at is egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't disagree, mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is how are we going to get there and avoid fascism? How are we going to get there without a false authority, a government system that imposes it and then makes us tax slaves? And, and so I'm saying that we have to identify the real deepest false authority in this virtual video game, and that mm-hmm. is within us. Sure, I agree with that. Okay, so the ego is the, the ego problem. ego gets in the way of everything. And there's the problem. Mm-hmm. The reason why we don't have egalitarianism is because the is ego because doesn't ego. want it. Yeah. Okay. Because we want we are what selfish, we want when we want it. Greedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want validation. All mm-hmm. of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, be spoiled children is what it comes down mm-hmm. to, right? Yeah, I agree with so, that. So, so, now, the word matrix has been popularized. Right. Because of the movie The Matrix. Right. And this was really the beginning of the metaphor of us being in a holographic universe. Yep. This is where people started to uh, assimilate this idea and say, wow, maybe we are in a matrix. Wow, man. Yeah, well, wow. in popular culture, it's been around for several hundred years. Yeah, but, but didn't that blow your mind when you oh, saw yeah. the movie? Okay, so, the red pill or the blue pill. Right. Yeah. So every And then, you know, uh, in the second or third movie, we see that Neo has powers outside of the matrix, which yeah. suggests that that's another matrix. Right. So there's a matrix with in a matrix. And, and by the way, people, we're offering you the same choice. The red pill, keep listening to us, or the blue pill, turn us off and go back to your happy little life. Yeah, go... <laughs> yeah, just just accept the consensus reality. That's always an option. Yeah. You know, all you have to do is turn off the podcast and return to the consensus reality. Right. But <laughs> what I'm saying is the consensus reality, as I talked about in a previous podcast, is made up of collective fictions. Yeah. So do you want to believe the fiction? And, and I say, I don't want the fiction. But I do look at the, uh, the myth that's been presented to us in Holy Scripture because encoded into that myth is some clue as to the meaning of life. And what I'm saying, the meaning of life yes. is we need to throw at the target. Uh, that's what we were created to do, is mm-hmm. to throw a spear at, at that animal or to throw, uh, shoot an arrow at the target. We need to hit the target. And what is the target? You said egalitarianism. I don't disagree. But what I'm saying is the thing that gets in the way of that is our own false authority residing within us. It's our own So ego. we have to co- overcome the self uh, selfishness or whatever. Right. We have to take on responsibility in the world. And, and the way that we do that is we take on responsibility in the world uh, through sacrificing of our own ego. And, which can be painful. Which can be extremely painful. And then an, another thing, of course, you know, Mark's talking about it from an individual point of view. I'm looking at it from a, a more bigger view because that's just the way I think. Um, you know, these things about sacrificing your ego or about considering the importance of your fellow man, these are things that can be taught. They can be taught in school. They, they should be taught in church. Right. And they can be taught in families. These are things that can be taught, and they can be learned, and they can be passed on from generation to generation. But see, the problem is people get so caught up in uh, political things 
and uh, they get caught up in the idea of, you know, I want to have my rights, and I belong to this group, or I belong to that group, right. and so you have to recognize my rights as a member of this group, or you have to recognize my rights as a member of that group, and what's getting, getting lost in all that political discussion um, is res- the idea of ha- taking on responsibility, and so people are get off in the bushes, you know. Well, yeah, and, and whenever you talk about that kind of stuff, I think that'd probably be a good, you know, that'd be a really good subject for another podcast. Uh, absolutely, because... We'll call that deep doo-doo. Yeah, that's yeah, the real that's divide the... between socialist and libertarian, you know, you're social democrat, I'm a libertarian. This is where we, this is where we divide each other is because you tend to look I'm not putting words in your mouth but I'm saying people mm. of your ilk or whatever. <laughs> I uh, love that word ilk. I like it. <laughs> but but I wanted to mention this whole thing about the matrix before we get away too far. Yes, yes. The thing is that the word matrix when you go back and you source it and you find out that's a Latin word and it means um, a reproductive uh, organ of a female essentially it means the womb. Huh. Okay. And so sometimes it's re- referred to as a woman, sometimes it's referred to as a womb, whatever. But the, I like the term womb, mm-hmm. and because that's what the Matrix was in the, the Latin idea. And so when I think of the movie The Matrix, and I think of the, the idea that we're in this virtual reality, yeah. I think of it as a womb. We're inside this video game. Now, when you're in a womb, that means you're, not, you're waiting to be born. Exactly. I know where you're going here, and I really, I, I really like what you're, what you're, what you're saying. So I what what I that. I like to think of it in um, I want you to imagine that uh, that a million or a billion years into the future, as we understand reality, let's just say um, that there are there's a culture, and what they do is they reanimate people from the past, and what mm-hmm. they and the way they do it is they um, they collect the information that is the memory of you, and they put it into a video game to reactivate it, and basically you get to live out your whole life again. Uh, by, and it's not really you, it's just the memory of you, okay? Uh-huh. okay? And then, once you've lived out the whole life of your memory of you, um, they teleport, transport, or import that into a clone body. And then, uh-huh. and then you wake up on the operating table with all the memories of your whole life. Now, that's kind of neat. And when you said womb, this is, this is the way I think about it. Um, if you'll think about a, an unborn child, and the, the unborn child spends nine, nine months de- developing in his mother's womb. The only thing he knows is warmth, darkness, the sound of a heartbeat, and the sound of breath. And then the terrible day happens where, as an unborn child, in a metaphorical sense, he dies. And then he is born into this reality that we know as a helpless little infant that's helped along and grows, and then he becomes accustomed to this reality. Reborn. Reborn, and he becomes accustomed to this reality, and then he grows up, or she, and lives a life and becomes an old person, and then what we call dies. Mm-hmm. But what if, I like the idea of this being a womb, what yep. if this is simply a womb, for the actual reality. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I think you know. I think we're in the womb, and so that's how I define the matrix. I mean, that's literally what the word matrix means. I did not know that. So, and that's important to know that. And I mm-hmm. think that the the Wachowski brothers—they were brothers at the time they made the movie. Now they're brother and sister, but that's irrelevant. Okay. The point is that uh, the movie, the Matrix, it has deep symbolism in there. Neo, the One, all that stuff, right. mm-hmm. referencing the Christ figure, mm-hmm. who's Trinity, not... his girlfriend named Trinity. Yeah. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. you you have many other uh, influences there, uh, mm-hmm. talking about karma and mm-hmm. what have you. Mm-hmm. And so they touch on many different things. I, that's why I love it because this, mm-hmm. I, I'm really attracted to metaphoric language, and yes, this is exactly. a very good metaphor. And you can interpret it in many ways. That's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. I think of the book, the movie, the uh, Matrix is kind of like our book of Revelation for our time, because sure. you could read the book of Revelation and interpret a hundred different ways. Right. And the same thing is true with the book of. Uh, and the thing is, your interpretation of that movie might change over time. Just like your interpretation of the Bible would change over time. Based on and, experience. And this is why metaphoric language is so powerful. Uh-huh. Okay, so, but but where I come down on this whole question of the virtual reality holographic universe is that I would say that we are living in a simulated universe, and I call it the matrix. I and agree. But I define that matrix as the womb. And so my conclusion is, we're not waiting to die, we're waiting to be born. There you go. I like it. I agree. I agree. And when you think about it like that, man, it really gives you hope. Even if you only have 2% of free will. (laughs) Even if you only have 2% of free will, 
you goddamn better use that. <laughs> All right? So, because the, the, the danger is, if you're a static being in a, in a, in a dynamic play womb, matrix, mm-hmm. universe, um, then you're already dead. Okay, you know, you, and you're you, just gonna come back and do it all over again. What happens when you play a video game and you don't get past level one? Right. Well, what you're talking about is what in the in gamer world we call NPCs, non-player characters. In Skyrim, <laughs> right. You go in and you buy, you know, you go in to buy some armor, some swords, or something from from a shopkeeper. Right. That shopkeeper has four lines, and every time you go in, he says exactly the same four wow. lines. Static. Right. right. Not changeable, no, yeah. no dynamic. The ultimate dimwit. The ultimate dimwit. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, so I don't want to be a non. I might be a dimwit, <laughs> but I don't want to be a non-player character yes. in the virtual reality Amen. we call physical reality, there you go. which is really just a, a hologram, right. and we're living in the shadow of the hologram, essentially. Mm. And so, but I want to be self-actuated and self-aware, and I want, I'm want i willing to suffer so I can grow spiritually, so that I can let go of my ego, so that I can help to take on responsibility that's more than just me. It's not just about me. Right. I want to include other people, wife, children, family, culture, history. Uh, my my church, my my country, my my circle of influence, and make it as wide as I can, uh-huh. as as long as I can, you know, financially support that if I can do it. Uh-huh. And so that's why I need to better myself so that I can do it. And so, so these are all. This is this is all about taking on responsibility. That's why we're here in this this. Uh, that's why we're here. Yeah, and and that's another reason why we're doing this podcast. We want our listeners. To learn to take on responsibility, to challenge the, uh, as you put it, the false authority, to look at things in a different way, in a new way, and then also to understand that there is common ground between all of us. Um, You know, Mark and I, he's on the right, I'm on the left, we can disagree about a lot of things, and I think you've probably heard that in, uh, in our discussion about things, but there is common ground. And the common ground, I believe, is it's not about you. And uh, it's it's about aiming for the mark, aiming at something higher. So, yeah. A- amen, brother. Amen, brother. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we wrapped that up. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.